to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it on a Thursday here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock. Then Jazz with George Thomas once again. Tons to get to, right? We got information on the Patriots. We got Buster Olney of ESPN talking AL and NLCS, a little Red Sox with us, too, in about 15 minutes. Former UVM hockey star Christina Shanahan on the women's side is going to join us about 6.35 or so. Uh, We're texting here, figuring that out, but about 6.35 or so. She's coming back to Burlington this weekend. We'll tell you why. I got some hockey tickets to give away, and I got a story about how I actually got, got to play real journalist today. That's right. I played real journalist today. I don't do that very often. I like to play, and I like to be in my opinionist bubble. I like to be on my in my commentator bubble. Today I got to play real actual real life journalist. I'll tell you that story at about 6.05. You can get in as always on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802 585 3026. 802 585 3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also watch the show on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and on my Twitter account. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So the quarterback controversy isn't really that much of a controversy anymore. The expectation, not the guarantee, but the expectation is that Mac Jones will be back this week for the Patriots and that Mac Jones will start at quarterback on Monday night against the Bears. It's not a guarantee. Mac listed as limited officially today in practice, but our guy Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, who's going to join us tomorrow at 545, he is reporting that the expectation is that Mac plays. The videos are out of practice today. Mac moving very, very well. I saw the videos. Mac's running. Mac's cutting. Mac's jumping. Mac's got a bounce in his step. It's good to see. Is he 100%? I don't know that. But he certainly looks like he can play, and it looks like Zappy Fever is going to go back to the sideline here for the foreseeable future. Now, I said yesterday against a Bears team that's not particularly good. I believe the Patriots could win with Bailey Zappi. And I would be more than okay if they played with Zappi against the Bears and let Mac get to 100% with a big game against the Jets coming up in Week 8. But if Mac is healthy enough to play, and those videos show that he certainly looks healthy enough to play, if he's healthy enough to play, I have zero problem with him playing. And I'm glad. You know I'm glad. I'm glad that through all the hysteria, cooler heads have prevailed. 
I'm glad through all the Bailey Zappi hype that the right decision is being made. Mac Jones starting when healthy enough to do so has always been the right choice. Mac Jones needs to be the Patriots guy for better or for worse. Mac Jones needs to be the Patriots guy in the short term. Mac Jones is just a better player. He just is. He's further along in his development than Bailey Zappi. He gives the Patriots a better chance to win more games, and he gives this team a better chance to win big games. If you're looking at the Patriots only through the lens of 2022, only through the prism of this season, Mac Jones is the only choice. He is the clear choice. The goal for the Patriots is to make the Super Bowl. The goal for the Patriots is to win the Super Bowl. The goal is not to beat the Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett and with multiple stars not playing for them. Now, I don't think the Patriots win the Super Bowl either with Mac Jones, but I can tell you that they are, in my opinion, a lot closer to those big goals with him than they are with Bailey Zappi. In the short term, this is the right call. Playing Mac Jones when he is ready and when he is healthy. This will give Matt Patricia and the offensive system and the offensive coaching staff the full breadth of the offense. Mac can run it. Zappy can't. It will give you a quarterback with a better understanding of decoding defenses at the NFL level. Mac has played 21 games. Zappy has played two and a half. It gives you all of Mac Jones's experiences. And those are all benefits to the 2022 Patriots. If you're thinking short-term, Mac is the guy. No questions asked. You can run the full offense. You can have his experience. And you have his ability to read defenses in real time. Bailey Zappi has none of that. Does not mean that Bailey Zappi is bad. Bailey Zappi did a great job. Mac Jones is the right choice. And if you are looking at the Patriots through a long-term lens, if you're looking at long and or, or length-colored glasses here, Mac Jones is the right answer there, too. I need to get the real and truthful answers on Mac. And the only way to get those answers is to play him, and to play him a lot, and to play him in a variety of situations. Everybody just says blindly that Mac is the guy for the next decade. Well, are we really sure about that? Because everybody seems to say, oh, Mac could be the quarterback for the decade. I don't know that that's the case. I need him to play so I can evaluate fully. I need to get those answers. I've said I like Mac, but he's not special. I've said I like Mac, but I wouldn't pay him $45 million a year. You need him to play so you can evaluate that stuff. Does Mac Jones, Mac, if you think Mac's going to get $45, $50 million a year, get $100 million guaranteed someday. I want him playing as much as possible in all situations. I need to get the answers. If you think he can be special, then you better play and better play him rather and allow him to show you that he's special. This is. This is the right answer. Like, I'm glad Zappi got to play. I'm glad he's a little more seasoned if they need him. I'm glad that he has elevated his own trade value because that can help the organization. But this is the move. This is the move. Mac playing, Mac playing Monday night if he's fully healthy. We were told it was a four- to six-week injury. 
Monday would be four weeks in one day. It would be quick, but Mac looks good. I'm in favor of him getting as healthy as possible. But if you're telling me he's 85, 90%, I have no problem with it. No problem with it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Texter, Tim in Essex Junction. Brady, if Mac does play Monday against Chicago, what do you want to see from him? Tim, that's a good question. And the reason, though, it's a good question is because it's not cut and dry. I hope people realize this. I don't need to only see things from Mac. I need to see things from all sides of the equation. Like the thought is that Mac needs to do this or Mac needs to be that or Mac needs to change up this. No, it's not just that. It's not just about Mac. I need to see other things from other individuals as well if Mac Jones is going to play on Monday night. Like from Mac, I need to see better decision making. I don't want to see the offense go into a turtle shell. You know I generally like what they were doing earlier in the year, but Mac needs to make better decisions. I want to see him be comfortable in the pocket. He looked awfully jittery at times through the early portion of the season. And I think those kind of happy feet made for some of those poor decisions. So I need to see him make better decisions. I also want to see him spread the ball around. The one thing, the one that I hope he took from Bailey Zappi's tenure as the Patriots quarterback is how much everyone got involved last week against Cleveland. Mac was on the sideline. Mac saw it firsthand. He was there. He watched the game. I hope he took a little note about how much everyone got involved, right? Seven, seven different pass catchers for the Patriots on Sunday. Parker, Bourne, Myers, Thornton, Smith, Henry. That's six. The seventh is eluding me at the moment. But, like, that's what I want to see Mac do. Along with more sound decision-making, I want to see Mac not get tunnel vision. I don't want to see him fixate on one receiver. I don't want him to have a predetermined throw in his mind. The thing I like from Zappi is that he was able to get the ball all over the place. That's what I want to see from Mac. But again, it is not just Mac. This is not just a one-way street for the Patriots offense. I want to see the Patriots play callers and their offensive brain trust. I want to see them be better than they were with Mac. I want to see them use more play action. When, when like Play action clearly works. It worked with Zappi. They almost never used it with Mac. So I hope that they give Mac the same tools to succeed as they gave Zappi. When, when Mac was the quarterback, he threw play action 11% of the time. When Zappi's the quarterback, he threw play action 32% of the time. Nearly one-third of Bailey Zappi's passes came off play action. That's what I want to see Mac Jones have. I want to see Mac Jones play fake, deep shot, Tyquan Thornton touchdown. I want to see Mac deep uh, play fake seven step drop Kendrick Bourne deep post. That's what I want to see. The offense can't just be, hey, Mac, get the ball, the shotgun, two steps and heave it blindly, Devontae Parker. That's not it. I need a more choreographed offense 
like they gave Zappi, but I need to have it have the deep shot elements. Use play action, allow Mac to take deep shots. And finally, I want to see the, the coaches give Mac Jones freedom. Again, Mac needs to make better decisions, and Mac needs to not have tunnel vision. But the coaches have to be better also. They need to give him freedom on play action, and they need to give him freedom, period. I hate the idea of Mac Jones coming in and looking over his shoulder. And that, to me, is one of the biggest worries that I have. That Mac hears the noise, that Mac's a little insecure about how everybody feels about Zappi, that Mac hears Belichick talk Zappi's praises and never speak his right now, and that Mac comes into this game thinking, hey, man, I'm fighting for my job now, and now I'm playing conservative. That's what I don't want. I need the coaches to tell Mac, like, hey, when you've got it, let it rip. When you've got it, let it rip. That's why you're here. If we wanted the conservative offense, we could have just stuck with Zappy. I need you to come out and play loose and play free. I don't want Mac Jones playing scared. I don't want him playing tight. Because when you play tight, you tend to play poorly. It becomes no, 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 no. Okay. I don't need that. Playing quarterback is not for the timid. It is not for the ultra-conservative. And I don't want Mac to play scared. I don't want him looking over his shoulder and wondering what's going to happen to him if he makes this throw. I just I need to see the coaching staff be better as well. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. ALCS kicked off yesterday. The Astros beat the Yankees by a score of 4-2. to two. And in that, we saw just, well, look, we saw what we saw from the Astros, right? Like, that's what we see. We see pitchers that throw a ton of breaking balls, like Ryan Presley throwing a million curveballs at the end of the game. We see a team that hits for power, and you saw it with Guriel and Pena. We saw a team that can beat you from any spot in the lineup. You look at Chaz McCormick and Maldonado getting big hits. That's what the, that's what the Astros do. They put the pressure on you from everywhere. Let's talk more about it with Buster Olney of ESPN. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Virginia and Starksboro. We'll get to Buster in one sec. Virginia and Starksboro says, Brady, they gave Mac free to me through picks all over the place. Zappy is better. Zappy is not better than Mac. And as for the, him throwing picks all over the place, yes, he did, which is why I said his decision-making needs to be better. But the offense was also, they weren't using play action. They weren't giving Mac all of the tools to be successful. They were saying, hey, just go out there and sling it. And when you just do that, then, yeah, you're going to get some picks also. But back to baseball now. I'm in a baseball mode now. So, again, Yankees lose yesterday. Astros have a one nothing series lead, and we're bringing on our Vermont native and ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney. Buster, thank you for being with us as always on a Thursday. How are you? I'm doing great, Brady. Good to talk with you. Good to talk with you. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart. Uh, well, uh, I, I'm glad that you were able to work through that. And as I told you before we got started, uh, hopefully it's consolation for you that the team that knocked out your Mariners, okay, uh, is right now arguably the best team in baseball, still left standing and uh, is they're 
they're poised to not only uh, have beaten the Mariners, but they're poised to blow past the Yankees and they get the American League Championship Series. Yeah, Astros won last night. Justin Verlander was great after the you know the early part of the game. He was awesome, finishing with double digit strikeouts. Astros flashed the power all over the yard, hitting a couple of homers. You know, when we talk about the Red Sox, we talk about them building a sustainable model for success, and we always, and myself included, we always default to the Dodgers model. My question is, maybe we should be defaulting to the Astros model. How have they been so good for so long? Yeah, and you're right. I, I think, and I, I think we do rightly give the Dodgers a lot of credit, especially with their ability to develop players. But when you really think of what the Astros have accomplished, uh, you know, since they began to ascend, which for me was in 2015 when they beat the Yankees in the wild card round. Uh, think about the turnover they've had. You know, starting with their general manager Jeff Luno, who lost his job uh, after the sign-stealing scandal. He was fired. Their manager, A.J. Hinch, was fired. Um, and then you go into the the players. Dallas Keuchel moved on. Uh, George Springer. Uh, Carlos Correa. Uh, on and on down the line. Just player after player after player. Garrett Cole moving on as a free agent. And yet they just keep on winning. Uh, and so Jim Crane, their owner, I think deserves a lot of credit for holding that together. I haven't agreed with a lot of the stuff that he's done. His comments after the science scandal to me were ridiculous. He didn't own it. Uh, you know, his, uh, I think tanking in the early years, it wasn't wild for that, but he clearly has a great sense of people in a team building because he's been the one common denominator. He and El- Jose Altuve all through this. You know, here we are thinking the Red Sox, they have to re-sign Bogarts. They have to re-sign Devers. They can't let these homegrown players get away. And here the Astros are letting everybody go away, and they're still good. Are any like, should I be saying, no, oh, maybe we can't let Bogarts go. Maybe we can't let Devers go. Look at what the Astros do, or they're not really the same. No, totally. And I think the Yankees have learned that, right? Uh, Robinson Cano, they let him go away. And I, I, I think that you're one of the... Uh, Sort of the managing uh, philosophy of training is he doesn't believe in these monster contracts, in these whopper deals. What he told players on that team is he doesn't give out contracts of more than six years. So when Correa was a free agent last winter, his feeling was, yeah, we really like Carlos and we like him back, but we're not going to give him for six years. Carlos is looking for more than six years. Uh, Alex Bregman, six-year contract. Jordan Alvarez, six-year contract. Jose Altuve, you know, they had a crazy team-friendly deal at the beginning. So, yeah, I think you look at not only the Astros, I think the Dodgers have, uh, you know, sort of operated under this philosophy. They don't always pay sticker price. People look at the Mookie Betts contract and say, well, you know, that was top of the market. It really wasn't. You know, when they traded for him, there weren't a lot of bidders willing to give up a lot for him. So they got him at a reduced cost, Freddie Freeman. They signed last winter after the Braves got out of that negotiation. Uh, Andrew Freeman doesn't believe in paying sticker price. The Astros don't believe in paying sticker price. And if the Red Sox wind up doing that, I think we have to remember that. The one difference is that, you know, the Astros and the Dodgers have found other ways to get elite players. 
And that's going to be important for the Red Sox to do if they don't re-sign Devers, if they don't re-sign Bogart. You know, I talked a lot about Bogart yesterday with Tom Karen of Nesson and about a lot of the particulars. I'm going to ask you a question about Bogarts, but in a slightly different manner. Once again this year, it is a very good shortstop free agent class. Bogarts, Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, all four of those guys are out there. I'm curious, where do you see Bogarts in the pecking order of those big four? Fourth. Um, in fact, he kind of reminds me, fourth out of four, um, and, and he kind of reminds me actually of um, last year where Marcus Simeon was. Because you remember when we talked about the the free agent class, we always had Marcus in there. Well, people in the, who were among the teams felt like, you know what, he's not going to be a shortstop going forward. He's going to move to another position. And in fact, when he signed with the Rangers, you know, that's where they put him. I think anybody who bids on Bogarts at this point understands that if you give them a, you know, say a, a six-year deal, seven-year deal, uh, a lot of those years, most of those deals are going to be at a position other than shortstop because the perception is, is that he already is challenged defensively, doesn't make plays that other guys do, um, and whether it's his third year, that uh, eventually he's going to have to move to another position. That And that, that is a complicating factor for the Red Sox who in this moment have a need for a shortstop. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. How much does a postseason affect your free agent value moving forward? And I'm asking about Aaron Judge. And what I'm getting at is, I, I think I understand, if Aaron Judge goes on a tear from here on out and the Yankees win the World Series, the price is going to go up. But if Aaron Judge continues to struggle overall in the playoffs, Will the asking price go down? Can the playoffs impact you negatively, or do they only help you positively? I don't think it's going to affect it that much. Because, um, as you know, especially in this era, I don't think teams are affected by postseason success or failure as much as they have been in the past. When you know, I forget, uh, in 1999 World Series, Jim Larratt hit a, hit a home run, and it felt like a big moment at that time. And I remember thinking, yep. The Yankees are going to re-sign him because of that home run. And sure enough, you know, and I joked with Jim subsequently, like that was $1 million home run because uh, that's how much he got. I don't think teams think that way. That said, I do think that if the Yankees are knocked out and Judge doesn't perform in this round, if the Yankees front office wants to hold the line uh, in the negotiations, that that'll strengthen their argument just a little bit. Uh you know, in the conversations with Hal Steinbrenner, the owner, and the recommendations, you know, because they can say, look, Aaron Judge is a great player, but we got into a big series and he couldn't carry us. Uh, I don't, I, as they say, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I just think it's a recent reminder for, you know, potentially for a team of, you know, how much an impact a player can or cannot make. Uh, in the end, I think he wants to get a huge contract. Because he is a guy who's demonstrated over the course of a full season, he can carry a team. What are we thinking about the playoff schedule? Because I got to tell you, I'm not really loving it. We got games on two games yesterday, which on one hand is fun, but the one hand is that, you know, it's at 4.30 in the afternoon. I couldn't even watch it because I'm on the air at the time. The Phillies and the Padres game, the game's being played in the sun and, and Juan Soto's losing a ball in right field. I'm like, should an NLCS game really be being decided in part by weather at that point in time? What are you making of, of how the schedule is being done? Well, uh, first off, some of the, you know, what you cited, that's just going to be reality in the playoffs no matter the year. Uh, you know, they, the, the broadcasters, Major League Baseball, they're going to line up 
the games according to which ones are going to have the best chance to get the highest rating. That's just the reality. Uh, and once we get in the American League Championship Series, the travel becomes a factor as well. So, you know, yesterday was game two of the National League Championship Series, which meant that it was going to be the early window game so that they can let those teams go on. And, and quite frankly, I'd rather have the game in San Diego be at 1 o'clock San Diego time than 5 o'clock where the shadows are a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I think in terms of the competition, it's not as good. And also, this year, all of the travel, and you know this, has been complicated by the fact they've had to try to squeeze these games in because the lockout lasted longer than anybody wanted or expected. And, you know, the series now is scheduled to, to extend to end of November. And so, during the championship series round, there's one off day that has occurred in the past that's not going to be available to the teams. And it, it, it complicates the TV schedule, it complicates the travel schedule, and it's a one-off given the, the circumstances that we had in the spring with a lockout. Um, that's how the Yankees want to play in this series with Cleveland where, you know, they're playing, uh, you know, back-to-back-to-back-to-back games in the way that they had to. You know, I'm fascinated by the Padres from a multitude of different directions. You're like, one, I'm thinking, how does Fernando Tatis Jr. feel watching all of this, knowing he's not a part of it? And the other part of me wonders, if the Padres win the World Series, do you think they could realistically just try to flip Juan Soto again and try to recoup some of the prospect value? Like, if they accomplish the goal of winning the World Series, do they really need him moving forward? Well, I'd say this, and I, I thought the direction you were going is, and I'm fascinated by the Padres as well. I'm fascinated by uh, the model that they're presenting to the rest of the sport of, you know what, this is what could happen if an owner actually really cares about winning. <laughs> <laughs> like The Padres owner, you know, Peter Seidler, has demonstrated he really, really wants to build a winner for San Diego. I was texting back and forth with him over the weekend saying, this must be fun for you to, like, see your vision coming true. Because, you know, when I covered the Padres back in the 90s, they were a team that sold off stars, and they, you know, uh, kept their payroll down in the bottom 10. Peter Seidler is, is basically spending what the team makes because he's trying to win. And that's got to be uncomfortable for some of the other owners. Um, uh, look, yeah, you're right. They could potentially flip Soto in the wintertime, and I don't rule out the possibility they'll trade him in the next two years uh, if you know he and if Scott Boris, his agent, can't work out a deal with the Padres. But I don't think that's at all top of mind. They'll go into 2023 with him on their team, you know, and maybe if they're struggling or if uh, they're not making any progress in the trade talks, sometime next summer, uh, AJ Preller, their aggressive general manager will consider flipping him to offset some of the costs they gave up when they traded for him. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. You know, this is going to be a tough one for the Yankees, right? The travel from or the, the series with Cleveland might hit them tonight. The game one adrenaline is gone. You don't have Cole. You don't have Cortez. Do the Yankees just get steamrolled tonight, or do they uh, get themselves off the map? I can't remember a series where I felt like the the result was such a state accompli as this one. Hmm. Uh you know, and once you once you reach the uh, championship series level, you're talking about really great teams. But the Yankees bullpen is so compromised by injuries, and now having to play all these games back to back to back, they're in a position like last night where they're going to either a you know a Clark Schmidt, a Trevino, a Frankie Montas, guys who uh, in a perfect world would be like the tenth, eleventh, twelfth ranked relievers in their organization. <laughs> yeah, and. They've had to rely on him, and, and uh, as you, you, you you know rightly have 
has cast the context about where they stand and rest and all that, I, I think it'd be uh, something short of a miracle uh, for them to actually beat the Astros in the series. I think the uh, Houston's going to steamroll them uh, in five games. Wow, Buster, the gentleman's sweet. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider. Buster, we appreciate it. We'll talk in seven days. Looking forward to it as always. Okay, Brady. Always love talking with you. I love talking to Buster as well. Good stuff with Buster also. Interesting is no faith in the Yankees to win this series. It makes me feel a little better about the Mariners. Like if the Astros are going to steamroll through the Yankees, it makes me feel better that they actually, you know, that the Mariners played close with them. The Astros are really, really good. As much as I hate them, they are really, really good. You look at that bullpen and everybody's throwing 95, right? A 95, 97. Abreu's throwing 97. Garcia's throwing 97. Christian Javier, if he's not starting, is throwing mid to upper 90s. You look at it with Presley and Neris and Montero. They're nasty. Valdez, who we're going to see today, you know, 95 mile an hour sinkers with this devastating loopy curveball. McCullers, who throws nothing but sliders, like, and that's just the pitching staff. And offensively, they just pass the baton to one another. Like, here's what I can say for the Yankees: if McCormick and Maldonado are doing damage, you have absolutely no shot. Because if you're playing the Astros, your goal is to shut down everybody and then see if you can limit. Alvarez, Altuve, Bregman, like if one through five, you know, are going to get theirs. You got to limit six through nine. And they didn't do that yesterday. They had a lot of stuff more to kind of recap what Buster had to say. We'll do that in the six o'clock hour. I'll answer some text messages when we come back, but we'll get the CBS news update. I'll answer some text messages. And I did something today. I almost never do. I played real reporter. I'll tell you what I did regarding UVM men's basketball. That's coming up next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Thanks to Buster Olney. For stopping by, as he does every single Thursday at this time. Buster always makes time for us right before playoff games. I mean, the Yankees and Astros game gets going here about 90 minutes from now, and Buster always finds time for us, which is much much appreciated. The full interview with Buster is going to be available soon on our podcast channel, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You also get all of our full shows there in addition to our exclusive interviews. And Christina Shanahan, former UVM women's hockey standout, is going to be with us uh about a half hour from now. Very cool story here. And, uh, again, we don't double dip a lot. Like, we don't do two guests in one show a lot. But Christina Shanahan is certainly worth bringing on. So we'll talk to her in about a half an hour. A couple of texts to clean up here on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Unnamed texter says, yeah, it's like the Astros work off of each other. They do. I mean, the Astros lineup is very, very deep. And, look, you, you know the difference in that game was last night? The Yankees struck out 17 times. The Astros struck out two. That That is who the Astros are, and that is what makes them so good. The Astros hit a ton of homers, and they are also the hardest team in baseball to strike out. That's a lethal combination, right? Because you look at the Yankees. The Yankees hit a lot of home runs, but the thought has always been, well, if you have great pitching – 
you can neutralize their power because of how much they swing and miss, right? That has been the thought. Yes, Judge will homer, but he'll also K. Yes, Stanton will homer, but he'll also K. Donaldson can run into one, but he Ks a lot. The thought has always been with power-hitting teams that when they see elite pitching, their offense is going to dry up. That's always been the thought. The Astros are the complete opposite of that. The Astros homer, and they don't K. So even when they don't homer, they work a walk. Even when they don't homer, they force you into six and seven pitches, so your pitching staff constantly is just grinding to get through, and your starter goes five. And Tyone gets pulled in the fifth yesterday. Your starter goes five. Then your bullpen gets gassed. And by game three, they've just got you in a vice grip. That is what makes the Astros so good. They hit home runs, and they are the hardest team in baseball to strike out. I mean, let's look at the team home run leaders 2022. The Astros have to be in the top five. They have to be in the top five as far as home runs go. Okay, that's the playoffs. Let's Guys, can we get the regular season? Uh, the Astros hit the fourth most home runs in baseball. Fourth. And as for strikeouts, they struck out... Uh, Okay, the second fewest times in baseball. My apologies. Cleveland struck out uh, a little bit less than they did. But fourth best in hitting homers, second fewest strikeouts. That That's the difference. The baton always gets passed. And that's why if I'm a Yankee fan, I'd be incredibly worried. That's why I was worried as a Mariners fan. Your pitching staff has to work extra hard against the Astros. Because you're going to throw a lot of pitches because they don't K. They're going to foul off pitches. They're going to spoil pitches. They're going to waste pitches. And then you're going to make a mistake, and they're going to capitalize. Or you're going to throw a bunch of pitches. You're going to walk them, and then they're going to hit a two-run homer. And then they're going to start it all over again. And that's just what the Astros do. And that is why I think they are certainly the favorite in this iteration of the playoffs. If 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 the Dodgers were there, it might have been different. But the Dodgers aren't there. I think they're bet they're clearly better than Philly. I think they'd roll through Philly. The Padres certainly have a lot of good stuff going on. I think that would be a fairly interesting series. I think they're better than the Yankees. They're just deeper. Again, and the Padres I haven't watched a lot of Padres baseball this year. I feel like their bullpen has some questions. They, I do like their starters, right? I like Darvish. I like Musgrove. Uh Snell, I'm not a huge fan of at this point in his career. Um you know, so I think they've got some horses in the rotation. Hater at the back end is good. The guys, the guys between the starters and Hater, I'm not sure about. But the Astros feel like right now, like clear runaway favorites. Like this feels like it's theirs to lose. And I hate the Astros. I would only be happy for Dusty Baker. Dusty, who's never won a World Series, who got to the World Series in 02 with the Giants and didn't win it because they were beaten by the Angels. And. I'd have to, you know, he didn't get on the Giants bandwagon. Like, he wasn't there when Bruce Bochy was there winning titles. So, I'd be happy for Dusty, who I still find incredibly cool, but that's about it. Uh, Tex says, is Nolan Ryan still part of the Astros? No, he uh, stopped working for the Astros during the COVID or before the COVID season of uh, 2020. He might even have done it before COVID, just going into the original 2020 season. All right, today. Yeah, let me tell you, today, quickly, I got to play real reporter. I did something I almost never do. 
I attended a press conference, virtually attended, but I still attended nonetheless. So today was America East Men's Basketball Media Day. And they put all the coaches through kind of the media car wash, right? This coach goes for 15 minutes, and that coach goes for 15 minutes. And you can hang out and go to all of the uh, virtual media days or just go to one. I went to just UVM's and just John Becker's. So I, I hopped in virtually on Zoom, and I'm hitting the raise hand function, and I'm asking questions. I asked like five questions of Becker, and I actually got a ton of stuff from him. The full audio we're going to have tomorrow for the show. So we're going to go over a lot of what John Becker told me uh, this morning, tomorrow. But, yeah, I, I got to play I got to play reporter today. I never play reporter. I like to play opinionist. I like to play interviewer. I never go to press conferences. I don't really like the feeling of press conferences. It makes me a little uncomfortable because I'm never in them. But today I was in it, got a lot of good stuff from Becker. Kind of the, the basic stuff that I got from Becker. Again, we'll have the audio tomorrow. But one, most importantly, Dylan Penn is not doing a whole lot right now. And that is disappointing to me because we had heard that when Dylan Penn broke his hand, it was a four to six week injury. Four weeks meant he'd be ready for opening day. Six weeks meant he'd miss six games. Becker didn't give me the timeline, but if he's not doing a lot at practice now, I find it hard to believe that he's going to be playing right on opening day. I find that hard to believe. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but I find it hard to believe. I did find out, and I don't think this is really a secret. I just hadn't heard it, that Dylan Penn broke his right hand. That is his non-shooting hand. That's actually better news, but I'm discouraged he's not doing a whole lot on the side still. Becker said he's doing mental reps. He's listening a lot. I thought maybe he'd be shooting with his left hand off on a sideboard somewhere. I don't think that that's really the case, so that's disappointing. That's one. Two, Becker told me that he sees his guards as interchangeable. So basically, anyone could end up in the point guard spot on any given possession. I had made a big deal about thinking Dylan Penn was going to be the point guard. He's going to end up there at some point, but I think you're going to see this team have an interchangeable nature where almost anybody can initiate the offense. He did make it sound like Finn Sullivan and Robin Duncan will be the guys that they really go to to handle the ball a lot, but on any given possession, anybody can be the point guard. He also said Sam Alamutu is starting to carve out a role. This is a guy that we heard a lot about last year. Heard a lot about him. Athleticism. I was told he might be the most athletic recruit this program's ever had. I was told that he might be the, you know, a, a guy who can get to the NBA. That's what I was told about Sam Malamutu, and he redshirted last year. And Becker tells me he's starting to carve out a role. We certainly could see him play this year, and he very well uh, might contribute. So, again, we'll have more audio tomorrow with a lot of what Becker had to say. We also learned the results today of the preseason America East Conference poll. UVM is picked at the top again. No surprise, UVM has won it six straight years. So out of respect, I think it's fair that UVM got the top nod. But I did wonder if Bryant, the newcomer in the America East, if they would generate real buzz, and they did. They came in second in the preseason poll. That's huge respect because Bryant is coming in from a different league, a league that's not as highly regarded as UVM, and they just blew past the field in the America East preseason coaches poll, picked second 
just behind UVM. So I got to admit it, right? I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. I got to admit that I was wrong. Bryant is a good addition to this league. I wasn't excited about it when it first came out. I wasn't looking forward to seeing Bryant in here. Looks like it's going to be a nice partnership. Looks like it's going to be a nice rivalry, and I'm looking forward to it. UVM won, Bryant two, and there we go. They're going to see each other in UVM's second conference game of the year, so we're going to get to see Bryant up close and personal right after New Year's, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. Elsewhere, Finn Sullivan and Dylan Penn were named to the preseason all-conference team. Finn Sullivan is generating a lot of buzz, and that is interesting to me. Becker tells me he's going to count on him to handle the ball a lot. The league coaches put him on the first team or on the preseason all-conference team. Finn Sullivan only averaged 7.2 points per game last year, and we got to see some consistency out of Finn Sullivan this year. I like him. Don't, don't get me wrong. This is not a Finn Sullivan slander zone. I like Finn Sullivan. I think he's a good shooter. I think he can handle the ball. I've seen him attack the rim. I saw him throw down a great dunk last year with the left hand. I think he can do a lot of things, but he's got to be really consistent. He's got to be a lot more consistent if he wants to justify being on an all-conference team. I mean, Finn Sullivan, in the final 16 games of last season, only scored a double figures twice. Right? Like, if you're going to be on an all-conference team, you got to make an impact beyond that. 14 of your last 16 games, you didn't score in double figures. So he needs to be a super consistent scoring threat. And, uh, you know, I just I, I find it interesting how much buzz he's getting, how much faith Becker has in him, and how much faith the league and their coaches have in him as well. And uh, finally, on the last bit of UVM news, um, on the last bit of UVM news, I really loved a message from Elisa Kresge, who's the UVM women's hoop coach. So they had their media day yesterday, and her team was picked to finish third, right? Best that I ever remember UVM women being picked since I've been here, right? UVM had their first 20-win season since 2010 last year. So they made great strides last season, and they were rewarded for those strides this year in the coaches' poll being picked to finish third. And Elisa Kresge, I thought, had a really good message about all this. We're excited about what we did last year, but we also know that means nothing. Um, so that's our mentality, that we have a lot to prove. Every day we have to show up because this group has not played together. We have six first years. Um, we have four sophomores, and there's not a ton of experience in that group. Um, and then you have five returners that bring a lot of experience. Um, so making this team gel is what we're really focused on right now in this preseason. I just thought that was a great message. I thought it was simple. I thought it was subtle. But, like, UVM had been down for a number of years. And sometimes when you're down for that long and you come up quick, you ascend quick, you win 20 games, you get to the conference semifinals, you do all this stuff for the first time in a decade. When you do that, sometimes you can have a, a feeling that you've arrived. You can have a tendency to believe in your own hype, but I wouldn't blame you for that. If you are a team that ends a big drought or you are a team that does something that no one else has done in a long time, I get you kind of um, pumping your own tires a bit. Elisa Kresge is not going to let her team do that. I just think that's a great message, and I certainly think it's smart. And she also added that, like, our team has earned respect, but as a result of that, we now need to be ready because people are going to be coming after us. 
And I think that's smart. I think she is guarding against her team feeling overconfident. And I, I have a, uh, a lot of respect for that. I think it's a really good message from Elisa Kresge. And it's a catamount team that's going to open up their year on November 8th when they take on Indiana. And I don't, UVM women does not have as hard a schedule as the UVM men. They're not playing the same amount of big name programs. They have more home games. They're probably going to generate more wins. I don't certainly don't claim to know everything about the women's basketball landscape, but I would expect this UVM team to be fairly good again in the league. And I think they'll do some damage outside the league because the schedule outside it is not super, super strong. The biggest issue for UVM on the women's side is going to be depth, right? Last year, they played and nearly the only scoring they got was from their starters. That was it. Like, they got almost nothing from the bench. They're going to have to find a new way to, to play offense this year as far as getting more depth, right? Anna Olsen and Emma Utterback are really good offensive players. They, too, were preseason all-conference players. Catherine Gilwey out of CBU is a local uh you know, a local girl on the team, she had some really good moments last year as a true freshman. So they have some players who can score. They're going to need to be a team that is not just dependent on only their starting lineup. Tech says, Brady, thank you for all you do for Vermont sports, a true professional. I hope that's not sarcastic. It feels genuine. So I'm going to choose to take it as genuine. So thank you very much. It is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. Look, I just, I love I love UVM sports, right? And the, I've said this before. It is the one college team that everybody in the state, and therefore all of my listeners, all of our listeners, can agree on. Everybody gets jacked up when UVM is good at something, right? There's a pocket of our listeners that are huge Middlebury hockey fans or huge Middlebury lacrosse fans or Middlebury football fans. There's a huge port. There's a pocket of our listeners that are huge Norwich hockey fans, and we'll do some of that as well, but in terms of something that brings us all together, UVM is it, and therefore I love talking about it, right? Talk some men's hockey with Todd Woodcroft a bunch, some women's hockey with Jim Plumer, men and women's basketball, and former Catamount women's hockey star Christina Shanahan is going to join us here in about 15 minutes because there's something very, very cool going on there. So, uh, okay, let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Well, they have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. Vermont Laser Wash is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. If you want unlimited car washes, it begins at just $20 a month. If you want just one free car wash, well, just text the word Vermont to, to the number 30 and then 400. So we were talking the other day about Ime Udoka, right? The suspended head coach of the Celtics. We talked about why the Celtics suspended him rather than fired him. And I was listening to Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe earlier today, and he was on WEEI, and he was talking about what would it take for Udoka to coach again in the NBA? Not even necessarily with the Celtics, but what would it take for him to coach again in the NBA? First of all, hire an image consultant. Yeah. Secondly, don't be seen for six months. Then go to Robin Roberts or Gail King yep. and say, you 
messed up. You, you try to be a better father, a better man. You know, you just lost control. You, you lost control of your ego. And then hope that the NBA, then hope you're, you're forgiven and either wait a year or two to get another job. Now, I think Gary Washburn is right. For, you, for Ime Udoka, this is now a PR battle. Right? This is now a PR battle for Ime Udoka. Lay low, like he said. Help the public forget. Help the public move on from it. Then come back, pick your spot, go on some media that you trust, appear to be contrite, flash some puppy dog eyes, say you're sorry. I mean, Gary Washburn's right. Like, the good winning lines are better man, better father. That will get everybody weak at the knees. So, And we all like a comeback story. So if Ime Udoka shows contrition, I think a lot of people in the public will forgive him. Frankly, I don't think Ime Udoka coming back from this public image-wise, will be that difficult. That's just the way we are wired. What I'm more interested in is this. I'm not really interested in the public and their acceptance of Ime Odoka. I'm more interested in an, in an NBA team's acceptance of Ime Odoka. And this is where I go out to the text line. 802-585-3026. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. If you are an NBA owner, what would it take for you to feel comfortable hiring Ime Udoka? What would you need to see or hear before you hire a guy that comes with this kind of baggage? 802-585-3026. For me, number one, right at the top of my list, I need to know there was nothing criminal that happened in Boston. There have been no charges filed against Ime Odoka that we know of. I need to know officially nothing criminal went on. First and foremost, if I find out there was anything criminal, then I'm out right there. We know Ime Odoka had a, had a relationship with a staffer with the Celtics that was inappropriate. But if I find out that it was more than that and there was something criminal there, I am out on the spot. He will never coach for my organization. If I find out that it was a consensual relationship and that's all it was, then I can at least go to the next step of what I need. And for me to take that next step and potentially hire Ime Udoka, I need assurances that Ime Udoka is going to be part of the solution within the community. Okay, so often when somebody has baggage, and I get it, when somebody has baggage, there does, there's a desire for them to just put the baggage behind them, right? They all want to move on, and I understand that. I'd want to move on too. But if I'm going to hire Ime Udoka, I cannot let him off the hook in that regard. I need you to use your name and your profile to help people. And that needs to be a guarantee. And that is non-negotiable. Because if Ime Odoka wants to hide his past, then guess what? Go be a banker or go be a grocer or go work at a car dealer. Go work somewhere where you will never get asked about your workplace issues with the Boston Celtics. If you want to run from your issues, go get another job. Heck, go coach in Israel or Turkey or France or China or or wherever, I don't care. If you want to run from your past, then go run and go be somewhere else. But if you want to coach in the NBA, 
then you need to prove that you are part of the solution. Ime Udoka's transgressions, I believe, are about the power dynamic in an office and using that to your advantage. Okay, Ime Udoka having power over a subordinate and then using that power for his own desires. That's what I believe the crux of this issue is for Ime Udoka. I need Ime Udoka to go into the community and speak to young men and speak to men in general about how to not let that be something that they exploit. Because Ime Udoka, I think it's pretty clear, exploited the power dynamic in relationships and in an office. I need him to go into local colleges and speak to male athletic teams. Speak to men in athletic departments, coaches included, because these power dynamics, they appear everywhere. I need him to speak to men and let them know not to make the mistakes he did and what it cost him, but also what it did to the woman who is the alleged other, other partner here. I need him to speak to, to go to prisons and speak to men who are coming out about power dynamics. I need him to go speak to CEOs and people in power about how to not do what he did. I don't need 365 appearances a year. I get basketball coaching is a very, very demanding job. But I need you to make a commitment to being in the community. You're not go- If you're going to work for me, Ime Odoka, you are not going to run from this. This is not going to be something where you flash the puppy dog eyes, do a spot on, you know, do a spot on ESPN, say you're sorry, have one press conference and we call it a day. This is not going to be that. If you want to work for me, you need to be part of the solution and you need to be part of the community because men taking advantage of power dynamics in exchange, you know, in, in trying to advance themselves or rather advance is the wrong word and trying to exploit those power dynamics for again, their own physical desires, that happens in a lot of places. And Ime Odoka needs to go into those places and try to make sure that that's not happening there and it doesn't happen again. You don't get to run from this. And then three, I need to have a conversation with the women in my organization. And I need to hear from them honestly how they feel. Because if they're uncomfortable with their workplace environment, I'm not hiring you. I'm not. And you may think that those are strict standards, and they are. If Ime Udoka doesn't want to do it, then don't do it. If you personally think that that's too rigorous, well, then great. In this scenario, I own the team. Those are my standards. Nothing criminal. You're not going to run from this. You're going to own it, and you're going to try to better society through your mistakes. And through your poor choices. And then the women in my office, I need to know that they are comfortable. And I need to empower them to speak up and give me their truth on this. This is not a, oh, you, you got a fine from the Celtics. You sat out a, you sat out a year. And you're going to attend some sensitivity classes. You're going to make a donation to some women's charity. And we're going to call it good. Not the case. Absolutely not the case. 802-585-3026. Ross says, it's been said to be consensual since day one. You are right about that. I, and from what we know is 
This was a consensual relationship. However, the problem with it is it's believed that Ime Udoka used his power and his influence and his clout to, you know, to take advantage of the situation, right? I do not believe from anything we've read that there was anything illegal about this, but workplace power dynamics were very much at play here, and that was in the ESPN story by Adrian Wojnarowski. So I'm saying for me, I need to know there was nothing criminal. Now, maybe that's obvious in this situation, but it still goes without saying, I need to know that nothing criminal happened. Yes, it's been reported to be consensual, but workplace power dynamics are a big deal. Bob in Moncton says, Brady, everything you're saying is correct and the right thing to do. That being said, he'll probably be hired again based on the promise it won't happen again, and that's probably it. You very well might be right, Bob, but that's who... That, that's what I would need. If I'm the owner, that's what I'm doing. And frankly, there's a lot of good basketball coaches out there. There's a lot of good basketball coaches. Ime Udoka is a great coach, it appears. He's never won a title. Look, and I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh, just because this guy is great, we're going to bend the rules for him. But somebody will. But like, this is not Phil Jackson. This is not even Steve Kerr. This is not Greg Popovich. This is not Bill Belichick. This isn't somebody who's so over-the-top special that I'm willing to make him, letting him play by a different set of rules than everybody else. I'm not buying that. So uh, somebody can hire him based solely on that. I'm not going to be that guy. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, we're going to do something we almost never do on this show. I'm going to give away something. So understand what's happening here. Coming up on Sunday, October 23rd, this Sunday, a couple days from now, at 3 p.m. at Gutterson Fieldhouse, there is a professional women's hockey game, okay? It's the Boston Pride against the Montreal Force. There's several players with Vermont ties. Either they went to UVM or they're from Vermont on both sides of this matchup. The game is Sunday at 3 p.m. I have a four-pack of tickets to the gut. If you want them... I'll take caller number three at 802-244-1777. They're good seats. They're free tickets. It's professional women's hockey. It is a not, it's a scrimmage game between the Boston Pride, who won the championship last year, and our friend Amanda Pelkey used to play for the Pride, and the expansion Montreal Force. So if you want those tickets, 802-244-1777, I will take caller number three. And speaking of that game, at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I want to congratulate Joe from Randolph, who won the tickets to that game coming up on Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Guts. So, again, that was a four-pack of tickets. Thanks to everybody who called. A bunch of you did. So, I'm glad to see a, a high demand for those women's hockey tickets. It is the premier hockey federation, and, uh, again, it will be the Boston Pride against the Montreal Force. And playing for the Montreal Force in that game in Burlington on Sunday is going to be former UVM hockey standout Christina Shanahan. And she joins us now on the Brady Farkas Show. Christina, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I appreciate you being with us. You were in Catabound Country for the last five seasons. Your last year in college was last season, so you haven't been gone too long. But what's it going to mean for you to suit up on Sunday at the gut, this time as a pro player? Yeah, it's honestly something I never imagined would ever happen. Um, It's going to be amazing to play one more game at the gut. I thought the last one was my last, and it's just such a special place to play. And I'm excited for my current teammates to play there, and I'm excited to see all my former teammates um, who are going to be at the game as well. It's just so it's a place that has given me so much, and I'm just so excited to be back. You know, when we look at men's sports, it's a fairly uh, easy is the wrong word, but logical route to play pro, right? You go to college, you get drafted, and then you're just there. The women's games are not at that point just yet. Talk to me a little bit about when you knew you would be a pro player, kind of how it happened, um, kind of just the process between finishing in college and getting to the professional ranks. Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's it's very different for women in hockey, unfortunately, and hopefully that continues to change. But for me personally, when I played my last game at UVM, I thought that was it for competitive hockey for me. I... I had had a couple of chats with other pro teams, but I didn't want to play anywhere else but Montreal. And there were rumors that there was going to be an expansion team in Montreal in around March, I think. So I got excited about that and then didn't really hear much for the next few months. And then in July, I believe they announced the expansion team and I I got really excited and jumped, jumped at the opportunity. And now here we are. So it's, yeah, it all happened very quickly. (laughs) You're from Quebec initially. What does it mean for you to suit up for a pro team in Montreal in the province that you grew up in? It's such a hockey crazed area. Yeah, it's, I would say it's a dream come true, but it's a dream that I never knew I could have. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's very surreal to be able to represent my home city of Montreal is amazing and I remember I used to go watch um, the Canadien, the old Montreal pro team in the CWHL. And there are a couple of girls from that team that are on my current team, which just feels it's, it's amazing just to be able to play with those girls. So One of the other things that is an unfortunate reality of men's sports versus women's sports is the money. And as I understand it, most, if not all players in your league, need to have a second job, or, or maybe it's a full-time job and this is the second job. You don't need to tell me the particulars of what you make, but I'm curious how you balance the time between needing to train, to get better, to stay healthy, to travel for games, with also needing a career that can pay the bills. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see, first of all, to see the growth of the salary cap. I know that last year the salary cap was at 300,000 per team and already this year it's grown it's more than doubled to 750,000 so already to see that is i think really huge for women's hockey for me personally i do have another job that i work about 30 hours a week and the the way that our team schedules things we have practices in the afternoons or evenings so it's, they're very accommodating to other people that have jobs on our team. So hopefully in the future, you know, the, the pay is enough so that us women can dedicate all of our time to being pro.
pro hockey players because that'll just make for a better product for women's hockey in general if you have women like in the nhl dedicating their whole lives to hockey they're able to train in the summer and get better whereas for women it's not necessarily the case so i think it's going in the right direction and it's really it's really great to be a part of that growth and i know that it's going to keep growing so it's a good place to start we're talking with former UVM hockey standout Christina Shanahan here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. She's a member of the Montreal Force in the Premier Hockey Federation League. They're going to be playing at the gut against the Boston Pride coming up on Sunday, October 23rd at 3 p.m. And let's talk about the Catamounts a little bit because you were here for the last five years. And last year's team was awesome, 22 wins the most wins in at least the six years that i've been covering the team or been around the team and you saw the growth every step of the way what is it like from where you started to where this program is at when you left to where it is now off to a really good start this year yeah i mean it's it's almost night and day from my first i would say two three years to where it has been the past year or so and you know it the growth I think has been happening behind the scenes. And in my first few years, we didn't really have the wins to show for it, but it's been a really sort of rewarding experience to, to see the growth of the program actually translate into wins like it did last year. And like it is doing this year as well. And I think it's just, you know, a testament to, to the staff and how they've recruited just great people. I think it really starts with that. And I know they, they've emphasized that because it's just, it's such a, such a great group of girls that, that have been a part of this program and that have helped it grow to where it is now. You know, Amanda Pelkey is someone who's come on the show a bunch. I've talked to her a bunch and she's kind of the gold standard for the program, but her, all-time scoring record just got broken by Teresa Shopsall, who was the Hockey East Player of the Year last year. So for people who are just getting on board, whether it be this season or in general, how good is she? She's unbelievable. There's no other, there's no other words. She, she's, I think, the best player I've ever played with, really, and she deserves all the recognition she's getting. And not only is she a great hockey player, but she's a great person. She's so humble. She'll never... She'll never say that she's the best, but she really is. And I'm so happy that she's getting all the recognition she deserves. And I know she's going to keep going. I mean, she's off to an amazing start this year once again. And obviously, I never had a chance to play with Pelkey. And she's definitely amazing. But having to play with Teresa was just one of the best experiences. And, yeah, it's just amazing to watch her throughout her five years and have them on. I'll get you out of here on this. This is always my go-to last question when someone comes back to town, no matter what sport they played. You're coming back to Burlington on Sunday. First place you want to stop to eat is where? That's a tough one. I was actually just in Burlington this past weekend. but uh, Oh, well, okay. The first place you stopped then. Oh, that's so tough. Um, I really love Henry's Diner. That's always a go-to. I've never eaten there. I've seen it a bunch. I've never eaten there. Oh, you gotta go. Ken's Pizza Pub is always my first choice. That's a good one too. <laughs> so, That's a good one too. 
Christina Shanahan, former Catamount Hockey standout. Team won 22 wins, uh, 22 games rather, last year. They're off to a great start this year. Inside Hockey East playing. Christina's playing professionally now uh, for the Montreal Force. The exhibition game is at the gut. I believe it's just $10 to go. So if you want to see some high-level women's hockey, 3 p.m. with the face-off there against the Boston Pride. And there's multiple former UVM players playing in this game. So Christina is just one of, uh, of a few with Vermont Connections. Christina, we appreciate it. Congratulations on all the personal success. And uh, we'll catch up down the road. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun day on Sunday. And really, the rise of the women's hockey program at UVM is one of the best stories over the last couple of years. And again, I, I'm not going to try to pretend to be something that I'm not. I'm not a a women's hockey expert, but I can tell you just as someone who is around, you know, around sports in this state, that when I got here, it was Amanda Pelkey and that's it, right? Like that's, that's what women's hockey at UVM was for me. It was Amanda Pelkey was great and she's on the national team and she's going to the Olympics and the rest of the program wasn't quite there yet. The program is there now. Okay, I need to get on board. You need to get on board. Everybody needs to get on board because this program has a chance to win the Hockey East title this year. Okay, they finished second last year. They got to the semifinals, and they're out to, I think, a 4-1-1 start overall this year at the beginning of the year. They have the Hockey East Player of the Year in Teresa Shavsal. They have an elite goaltender in Jesse McPherson. They have a good head coach in Jim Plumer. Like, this is the time to get on board because, I mean, Shopsall just broke Pelkey's all-time scoring record. They've got – they just had the, the player of the week, I think, in the Hockey East the other day. They've got players that are playing for their national teams, multiple players playing for the Olympics, multiple players from the Czech Republic just won, just won a medal at the World Championships. Like, this is the time to buy stock in UVM women's hockey. We'll finish out the show next on the Brady Farkas Show here on DEV. For more than make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next here on WDEV. This is the Brady Farkas Show finishing it out. Here on uh, this Thursday, the full show podcast, remember, will be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. We are closing in on 500,000 career downloads, career total downloads of the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Our our two-year birthday is coming up next Wednesday. Okay, October 26th is the two-year anniversary of this show's launch. I would love to hit the 500,000 mark by that point. I don't know if we're going to. It's really just kind of a selfish goal, to be perfectly honest with you. It's a cool round number I'd love to hit. I don't know if we're going to, but uh, tell your friends, subscribe to the show. Uh, it would mean a lot to us because we've put a lot of work into it over the last two years, and you you listeners out there have reciprocated that work. I mean, I had somebody call in the break and say they listen to the show every day. We we really do appreciate you. I hope that that goes without saying. You you stick with us through a lot. You stick with this show through a lot, right? Half the year we're cut off to 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever, or sometimes we're cut short for Norwich hockey or high school basketball. We love all that stuff, right? We I love all that stuff more than anybody. But you stick with us. You are, you're here, whether we're here for 30 minutes or 90 minutes. And uh, 
everybody always has something nice to say about the show. So we really do appreciate all your support. Um, Tom Brady apologized today for equating the NFL season to a military deployment. Do you know how I feel about uh, using war monikers and war analogies to sports? I'm just not for it. Right. And it was a it was a handful of years ago that I changed my tune on this. Right. Like I used to think, ah, no big deal. Right. Ah, you got to win a game in the trenches. Ah, we're going out. You know, it was a war out there. I used to not care about that stuff. But as I got older and I started to see war and in the media and I started to work here and read more about it, I'm just not for it. So I'm glad Tom Brady apologized. I thought it was a very cringeworthy comment when he made it the first time around. So I tried to cut that stuff out of my uh, out of my vernacular. I understand sometimes it's avoidable, right? Like, that guy's got a cannon. That guy's got a gun. I, like, there are times where I'll slip up, too, but uh, they'll never catch me saying that, uh, you know, it was a war out there. I'm never going to say that. So uh, I'm glad that Tom Brady apologized. Again, I thought it was very cringeworthy. He got roasted, I think appropriately, by people associated with the military on social media. I saw people I know that are associated with the military say, come on, buddy, this ain't nothing like war. This ain't nothing like the military. So uh, I think it was a good decision for him to apologize. I hope that it was heartfelt and uh, he'll move on from there. So Thursday night football tonight. You know, this is only the 26th time ever that we have had a baseball game, a football game, a basketball game, and a hockey game on the same day. Seems shocking to me. They call it the sports equinox. Well, it's the 26th one in history. Thursday night football between the Saints and the Cardinals. DeAndre Hopkins is back. Major League Baseball game two, a little less than an hour from now. It's the Yankees and Astros from Houston. A couple of NBA games and a whole slew of NHL games, including the Bruins, who are in action tonight. Coming off that loss against Ottawa, they're taking on the Ducks. That's it for us. Jazz with George Thomas is next. Go find the podcast.